1: No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. dot com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, Albion's season might be well and truly done, but we most certainly are not. Today we'll reflect on Saturday's disaster, but also reflect more broadly on the season as a whole and also have a good look at Steve Bruce's tenure at the Baggies and whether there should remain a tenure going forward. However, before we get into the bigger picture stuff, Pete, why didn't we show up on Sunday in what was a game that ultimately is likely to have defined our season?
0: Well, I think it was a case of both teams not showing up, really. We looked like we didn't want to be there and... I mean, Birmingham didn't look particularly good, really. We struggled to get the ball into Grant. When I was looking at the passing networks, there was no pass connections into Grant, so no um, connections of three or more passes. When you look at the highest expected threat link-ups, um, they were between Sam Johnson and Connor Townsend, Kyle Bartley and Matt Clark. So, I mean, you kind of want those and expect those to be to your attacking players, not Matt Clark and Connor Townsend. So we, we weren't really getting the ball into the right area. I think we attempted about five passes in their penalty area. And ultimately, when you look at the shots, we had eight shots in total, I think, but only three before their, their goal. Those three had a total of 0.1 expected goals. So each shot was worth on average 0.03 which is, I mean, that's very, very low. So, I mean, we didn't concede many chances, but we just really didn't look like creating anything, to be honest. And, well, that showed on the scoreline as well, didn't it?
1: I mean, after the game, I tweeted calling Grant and Robinson a disgrace. We'll look at the bigger picture on them over the course of the season in a moment. What I meant by that, by the way, is that I don't understand how they seem to pick and choose the games they, they show up for. Looking at the numbers around that, particularly on Grant, He had 17 touches in the entire game. Now, to put that into perspective, that's the lowest on the pitch. Adam Reach, who played 15 minutes, had 18. So that goes to show you how little of the game Grant had in the 67 minutes he was was on the pitch. He was absolutely dreadful. I saw Joe Chapman's ratings in the Birmingham Mail yesterday. He gave Grant and Robinson threes, which were the lowest mark alongside... Townsend, who, from what I gather from what Joe wrote in the synopsis underneath, pretty much got a three for what was a very poor decision for for the penalty, which knocked his knocked his mark down. But purely on performance over the ninety minutes, Grant and Robinson, according to Joe's ratings, were our worst players, and I tend to tend to agree with that. However, when I tweeted that out, I had a number of people agreeing with me, but I also had a number of people coming back to me going, "What do you expect if we can't get the, get the ball into them?" Am I being a little unfair on the on the front two, Pete, or is it completely reasonable of me to expect a great deal more from these two players who we know are capable of much, much more?
0: I think it's a bit of both, really. As a striker, you do need your midfielders and your wingers and wing-backs or whatever to, to get the ball into you. But at the same time, you've got to make the right movements and work space to get a shot off when there is an opportunity. And we had eight shots in total, and I'm not sure on this, but... I'd not I don't think any of them were from either Grant or Robinson. I could be wrong there, but ultimately they didn't get shots off in high enough quality areas and I think the only one on from
1: Robinson was the one that the keeper smothered at at his feet i, I, I agree with you on on Grant, I think Robinson had one in the penalty area, which is the one that I'm sorry, the keeper didn't smother it did it the 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 defender blocked it, but either way, it was a eighteen yard box shot,
0: yeah, well, I mean they need to be getting shots off in in higher quantity and and higher quality and we Seen for the rest of the season that they are able to do that in periods of in certain matches and in periods of games, but it's not consistent through every game. Which is, I mean, it's what you need when you well, we're not anymore, but trying to push for promotion.
1: Absolutely, and on on the matter of the service, and you know, because we've had a we've had a number of goes at Grant and Robinson, myself in particular. To be fair, I'm not going to pull Pete in with my lot. I know I've had a I've had a number of goes at both of those players over the last few weeks, and I think deservedly so as well. But on on the purposes of balance, I I would, you know, I'd have to point out that Taylor Gardner-Hickman had a very, very poor game. You know, that needs pointing out. But equally, also needs pointing out that a young player like that is going to have poor games from time to time. And it is not fair to expect a player that young in his first senior season to carry the team and carry an offensive threat through midfield. But, Pete... It does seem like because Taylor's had poor game, games in the last two matches for me at Bristol City and today, and it seems like when Taylor Gardner Hickman plays poorly in this system, we don't really look a threat because I honestly, I honestly, do not know how we went to Bristol City and scored two goals. I really, really don't because it didn't for the the vast majority of that game. It didn't look like we could score, and yesterday we didn't. We didn't look like we could score in a month of Sundays, and it it seems hugely unfair on Taylor that he has to be of a level and if he's not we don't seem to carry a threat through midfield and therefore and for me Grant and Robinson in games where it's not happening for them don't start moving into more progressive areas. Maybe don't, in the case of Robinson, don't come a little bit deeper to get the ball or don't run into the channels to give options down uh, down the line or whatever. They don't help this young man out. I don't expect Livermore to do a lot of that, but neither does Mowat really. I, I, I feel like there's way too much on a young man's shoulders.
0: It is a lot for him to, I mean, he's 21, I think. And it's, yeah, it's a lot of pressure to have to kind of be the person that drives the team forward. In the position that he's playing in, as one of those outside central midfielders, him and mo you kind of need a lot of the creativity to come from them because we're looking to go through the wide areas. So we need those, uh, little wide triangles of maybe a Jay Furlong and Garner Hitman on the right to, to kind of move the, proge- progress the ball forward and create chances and get balls into the box. But yeah, like you say, if, Garden Hickman's not, not on it then we seem to be struggling a bit to do that against ultimately two sides that are probably two of the bottom half of the table teams
1: also just in terms of our threat, what was interesting to me, and it was in, it was it was it was interesting because I thought this during the game, and then Bruce actually alluded to it in his post match comments. that the performance of Semi Ajayi was highlighted by Rob Gurney on on BBC WM in his post match interview to uh, Steve Bruce. And by the way, I thought Semi, if you're picking a man in the match. had to be our man of the match. I thought he was by far and away our best player. Yes, a couple of iffy moments passing out from the back, but I actually thought he was our best attacker (laughs) over the 90 minutes. It's crazy to say about one of your centre-halves, but he was, semi Ajayi was our best attacker on Sunday. And Bruce said after the game that it was a tactic that they'd worked on all week to get, one of the centre-halves driving forward into midfield, and particularly in that first half, and late on in the game as well, after Grady Diangana came on, and I want to touch on him in just a moment, but we'll park Grady for just a second. When Semi drove forward, we looked a real threat. But my problem was, Pete, and I don't know whether you saw this as well, I felt like we weren't brave enough in our centre-halves to get to drive into midfield regularly enough, because the only time that I saw us be a real threat in that first half largely came from one where Bartley actually didn't have a choice but to drive into, into midfield because it was a 50-50 ball into the middle of the park, and he had to get there before I think it was Lyle Taylor. And his touch took him over the halfway line, and I think there was a point where he thought, oh, well, I'll keep on running, and he did. And then there was a couple of times Shemi got forward on the overlap on the outside of Darnell Furlong. And there was once when Clark drove forward and we looked, th- looked a threat on those occasions. But I don't know whether it's a lack of bravery, a lack of self-belief, a lack of whatever. But Bruce said afterwards that there was an instruction to the centre-halves to get forward on the overlap. And yet they did it so infrequently in the game. And I... I don't, I, I don't understand why. and I can only put it down to a mentality thing if the instruction is there from the manager to get forward.
0: Well, if the opposition's kind of pressing you on a, a man, man-to-man basis and not putting any pressure on the ball, then the person on the ball, who's often one of the centre-backs, in the early stages of build-up, is going to be the free man. So they're going to have space to drive into whilst the opposition's just man-marking every other player. So, I mean, quite often it's, it's the best option. And not only that, but... Ajayi made some nice runs to break to get onto three balls, like third man runs to get him behind the defensive line. I think Gardner-Hitman played played one or two to him to get him behind and Birmingham found that quite hard to, to track, I think. And I think he attempted to cross the ball in and it might have ended up in a corner or something. But I mean, it is a dangerous way of getting forward if you've got the players to do it. And I think with Ajayi's physical attributes, then he's definitely a good player for it because I mean, we know he's Lightning Clark quick.
1: as well. Clark looks like he's he's very comfortable on the ball. He looks like he can drive into those areas as well.
0: Yeah, I'd say Clark looks probably more comfortable playing further forwards, but Ajay looks better to drive quickly or make runs in behind forward because of his speed. But Clark looks more comfortable on the ball to kind of pass it around in that final third and support Townsend down the flank. So I think it's something that we should be using. And we have got Jake Livermore in front of them, to, who's pretty comfortable to sit in if they do make that run forward. So we still have that cover behind. So, yeah, I'm not really sure why we didn't use it more.
1: Just on the defence, other than probably Bristol City away, where we were pretty abject, particularly from set pieces and balls into into our box, I think we've, been, we, we've largely been pretty good all season. And when I look at the defenders that we've got, I see a lot of people saying the squad needs an overhaul. We need to we need to rip this squad up, et cetera, et cetera. I agree with that midfield forwards. I don't agree with that with the defence. I, I really don't think there's much, if anything, wrong with the defence. I think 100% for me, if you can get Clark at an affordable price, you bring him in. I think he's a quality, quality footballer. I think Semi, since he came back into the side after the African Nations has probably been one of our best players. I think Bartley seems to get a bit of unfair stick. I saw, I saw one person say he's awful in the air and, uh, on Twitter, and, and somebody went back to him pointing out that he's won the most aerial duels in the entire division, not just in our side, in the entire division. So I think there's a lot of misnomers around Bartley. And again, I think he's a much better defender than than people give him credit for. And then behind that, you've got Dara O'Shea, who's a quality player and hasn't even played, played much this season. The fullbacks have been a bit more hit and miss, but I think that's partly to do with the way we're playing and the fact that we haven't got good players in midfield to, in particular in Townsend's case, to slip him in down the side. But even in Furlongs, I, you saw Furlong getting forward a lot more under Billich the last time we were in this division. I actually think, again, we've got two good fullbacks if we had better players in midfield to make the most of their, their attributes. I agree, the midfield and the forward line need surgery in a big, big way. But I don't know what you think, Pete. I don't, I really don't think we need, we we maybe need a backup defender in the fullback areas. But other than that, I really don't think we need to, uh, and we need to sign Clark. But I don't think we need to do much to the defence at all.
0: I think firstly, we need to decide whether we're playing a back three or back four next year. And then we can, if we're playing a back three, then yeah, I think we look pretty good, especially if we can get Clark in. Otherwise, he needs replacing for me. But if we're playing a back four, then We need to be looking at offloading some because you can't keep that many senior centre backs happy if we only playing two of them at a time. I think, yeah, we've got quite a lot of players that are at least good championship players and Bartley. I created a, a player rating system to look at all the players in the championship and what sort of style of player they are. And as a box defender, Bartley came out as the highest, I think. So that's just kind of players that are good in defenders that are good in the air good at stopping crosses, um, making tackles, but not necessarily good on the ball. So in that style of defender, if that's what you want, then I'd say Bartley is a very good championship defender. I wouldn't want him doing what Ajayi does and driving forwards and making runners forward. But if you want someone to be in the centre of the back three and win headers and tackles, then he's the man.
1: And just moving to another area of the pitch, I said we'd come back to Grady Diengana and that's exactly what I want to do right now. I looked at Grady's numbers after the game and two key passes first in, in terms of our team, three completed dribbles, most in terms of our team, one, two fouls, second most in terms of our team. And he's, he played 30 minutes. I d- we We discussed a little bit about Robinson and Grant in terms of that game. And we'll come back to them in terms of the wider, wider season in just a moment. But Grady, I just feel like he's being hard done to all the time. Every time he has a couple of good games, he gets dropped. He comes on and he contributes. He contributed big style against Huddersfield. And I appreciate the fact that you couldn't have put him back in. And besides, we won the game against Fulham anyway, but you couldn't have dropped Robinson or Grant after uh, after the Huddersfield game. It would have been very, very difficult. We went and beat Fulham anyway, so the proof of the pudding is in the eating to a certain degree. But I kind of feel like now with the season gone and especially with the performances of Grant and Robinson in the last two matches and the last one in particular, I would like to see Grady get a run in the side and just try and play the bloke into some form because I actually feel like since Bruce came in, when Grady's been on the pitch, he's actually done all right and he's contributed. And I thought he made us a threat. In that last half an hour against against Birmingham, I thought it was the only time in the game we actually did look like did look a threat. I feel like you 've got you 've got to try and get something out of Grady because he 's an eighteen million pound asset you couldn 't sell him tomorrow and get anywhere near that so in that sense, what on earth would be the point in selling him? Make a huge loss on the bloke. Why? What? What's, what uh, what's the point? You might as well try and get the player out of him that we know is in there. Because if you do, then you've got one of the best players in the championship. And you've got a player that, Especially with DK coming back as well could drive you on to promotion potentially next season. Because if you've got that solid defense, if you've got Grady D and Garner being Grady D and Garner and Daryl DK through, through the middle next season and with some decent recruitment around them, which obviously is the. Is the X factor almost the elephant in the room? Can we do that? Then you've got you've got to have half a chance because there's not there's not going to be a lot of teams in this division that are going to have anywhere near that. But I feel like Grady needs to be given that opportunity. He needs to be given that chance to play himself back into form and find his he, his niche in this team.
0: When he has played, he's he's looked like a bright spark, but he's also looked like the only creative player on the pitch. So it's like he's you know carrying the whole team in that respect. And he's looking for players to make those runs and, and play play with him and take a bit of the pressure off him. And it's not there. So I think that's potentially one of the issues. I mean, when he was playing the championship the last time, we had Mateus Pereira, who was obviously a brilliant player and, and did a lot of the creative work alongside Diangana, and maybe took some of that responsibility off him. And then the other issue is that we're just not playing formations that he fits into. I think when he came on against Huddersfield, he was playing as a very attacking wing-back. But, I mean, you can't really start the game with a player like that as your wing-back because it's it's too attacking and it's going to potentially leave you exposed defensively. But I did say a couple of weeks ago that I just want to see him play as much as possible because he's one of the few exciting things that's on the pitch when, when he is playing and you're watching Albion. The rest of the time, I mean, especially against Blues, it was just a very, very dull game that just didn't have any kind of excitement to it.
1: Well and that's the other thing Bruce owes a duty to the fans at this point in the season, doesn't he? because it's been dull, and to be honest when you've got when you when you've got the playoffs as a possibility, you can make an excuse for dull if as long as you're getting the results because if you're grinding out one nils, which we haven't been, but to be fair, prior to the Birmingham game, we had taken eight points from four games, which is half-decent form, if our our previous run hadn't been so bad, would be playoff form. But once the season's gone, as it is now, you owe a duty to the fans to entertain them. And as you say, the only one who's a real entertainer out there is Grady Dean Garner.
0: We've had a few decent results and picked up some points in the last few games, but I think I said on the last pod that the performances haven't really been there apart from Fulham. We've been aided by a few penalties and if you take them away then we've not really been creating enough enough chances. So it's been dull and the performances haven't really been good enough to get us into the playoffs. We've had a few penalties which in some ways are lucky and you know you're not going to get them every game. So yeah, I'd much rather see Grady start and find a way to get him in and just have him as a bright spark to give us some enjoyment of watching Albion at the minute.
1: Obviously one of the players that would be likely to drop out should Grady come into the side would be Granton Robinson and we've talked about how poor they were against Birmingham and I've I've made no bones about my feelings towards that pair nor nor of a lot of fans actually from what I've from what I've seen on social media. But actually, over the course of the season, because I wanted to talk about them in the broader sense, when you look at their record, Pete, it's not bad, is it? They are the top two for goals in our squad. They're the top two for assists. They're second and third in shots per game. Only behind DK, who really doesn't have enough of a sample size to make that to for it to be fair that he's ahead of them. If you see what I mean, they're then fifth and sixth for key passes per per game behind Moat Townsend, Furlong, and Snodgrass. Interesting that Snodgrass is on the, on that list, and that could be a whole other pod as to whether whether he should have been bombed out in quite the way that that he was. And and then even Grant is actually our second best for completed dribbles per game, only behind Taylor Gardner Hickman. The problem, actually, over the course of a season is not what the pair of them contribute in en masse. It, the problem is the fact that they don't do it consistently and, and that both of them are players who play in bursts. And when they're great, they're great. And when they're bad, they're blooming awful. I, I suppose my question to you, Pete, is is it sustainable to have two players like that up front for you over the course of uh, course of the season, or do we I mean I suppose next season hopefully we will be looking at daryl d k as the one to uh, to lead the line, but certainly over this season, I feel like it 's cost us having having those two not because of their overall output, which actually when you look at the numbers at the at, at the end of the season or not at the end of the season as the case may be at the start of April actually aren 't bad when you top them all up together, but when you actually look where where they come they just come in these peaks and troughs and that's that's not good is it
0: it's not and I'm not sure if the numbers agree with this but it seems like they play best when they're together when they're both playing well together so I'm not sure how, how many it is now but they've linked up quite a lot for their goals Robinson assisting Grant and vice versa so if it's going that way as well it's I mean it's even worse isn't it because you can't have games where maybe one's playing really bad but the other's playing well you're kind of having it one way or, or not, so they both play really well, or they don't
1: yeah they they don't carry each other like you you took a took a great partnership from the from the premier League you you see son and Kane together, and son's uh, when Kane couldn't hit water if he was stood on a boat at the start of the season, son carried him a little bit. that never happens with Robinson and grant does it if if one's terrible, they're both terrible,
0: yeah, and that's that's a big problem. is it maybe we're missing options up there as players that can play as central strikers? We've had Matty Phillips, who's been injured for a lot of the season. Obviously, Hugh Gill has gone to Cardiff now. Without taking you off
1: on a tangent, Pete, should we have let him go?
0: I don't think so. I think, despite being pretty awful in front of goal, I think it would have come. I think he would have scored a few goals because he was getting into the right areas, and I know he was missing quite a lot of sitters. But if you keep getting in those areas, you will score, even if it's not a really good rate. But he, if he kept playing, he would have grabbed some goals, and it's just another option to have. I think he fitted, he, yeah, he fit the um, the system quite well because he was physical, but he could also run in behind and get into good areas to score, even though he wasn't. So I think he would have been a good option to have, and he wouldn't have it would have meant that we're not forced to play. Robinson and Grant every game really. I know we do have Carroll now, but
1: Carroll doesn't really work in this system. Does uh, does he? Because he can't. He's not. He's not really mobile enough.
0: No, but I think I'd like to see him played more because when he has played, he's he's done well even without scoring. He's given us some a different option. But I think we're kind of looking for Robinson to kind of play Grant through and link up. In that sort of respect, rather than just hitting Andy Carroll early and playing off that. So, I mean, yeah, it comes down to the system in that respect, but different options of options of different strikers would be nice and maybe not force us into playing Robinson and Grant. At the same time, every game,
1: and hopefully one of the reasons that we won't play Robinson and Grant all the time next season is because hopefully DK will be back. And I just wanted to little bit of a public service message on 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 Daryl DK. Obviously, there's been a number of rumours th- this week about him going to Besiktas to join Valerian Ishwell, where Valerian Ishmael's just become the manager. I mean, I have to say, having worked in PR and communications in, in in West Bromwich Albion Football Club in their communications department, worked at the Football Association, worked around journalists for, for a long, long time, particularly when it comes to transfer rumours. And there are good journalists out there who only report the truth, but there's an awful lot of, an awful lot of journalists who are just clickbait and like to put two and two together and make five and I have to say I think that's what this is Valerian Nishmel has signed the bloke twice therefore he must be signing in for Besiktas actually when you look at it in in light of how much money they're likely to have and how much money we, we've paid for him and how much money we would want for him and the fact that we bought him to build a forward line around and he's played, what, about 65 minutes for us. It makes absolutely no sense that we would want to let him go. And so I don't think there's anything in it at all. And also, I just what worries me about this is Albion fans getting a little bit sucked in, or some Albion fans getting a little bit sucked in by this, and saying... Well, if he doesn't want to be here, let him go and play with his mate. He's not said he wants to go. He's not put a transfer request in. I don't. I don't think for one second he will do this. Please don't let the propaganda about DK the same as the same as I did a bit of a public service message on the last pod saying. Please don't brand him as an injury-prone player just because he's had one injury where we gave him a two-week preseason where really any reasonable player would have had six and then got injured again when we've tried to rush him back. That's not particularly surprising. The bloke played over 40 games last season. He's not injury-prone. And to the same extent, please don't brand him as not committed to the cause just because a few lazy reports... Want to link him with the bloke who's who signed him twice, because you kind of get a little bit of a nose for these sorts of things, and I'm happy to hold my hand up in a couple of months' time if he signs for Besiktas and I I look like uh, and I've got egg all over my face and I'm completely wrong. But you feel like you get a little nose for these things where it's just a really easy link to make. Manager goes in at at Besiktas and he signed a bloke twice, so let's link him there. I mean, to be honest, Valerian ishmael has been there five minutes I I, I I doubt if he's if he's been able to have much of a conversation about who he wants to sign in the summer, and I doubt even less that Prasiktas could afford to buy daryl d k for the kind of money that we that that we would want but Pete it does seem like there's there's a lot of propaganda going on around DK, negative propaganda going on around DK at the, at the moment. And my concern is in a season where there has been a lot of toxic feeling around these players and uh, around this uh, this squad and the club in general that I, I, I just don't want to see a player who hasn't simply has not had a chance yet in an albion shirt start off on the wrong foot with uh, the with, with the fans because it can be a long road back from there
0: yeah and that's the the issue with it for me is that if there is this toxic atmosphere around him then if next season he he misses a few chances early on, then fans will be getting on his back, which is a bit of a worry because we've seen at Barnsley and Orlando that he's a top a top striker at this level, and he will score goals at a good rate if you give him chances, and he'll he'll make chances for himself as well. So uh, yeah, like you say, no record of being injury prone prior to his move, so I think it's just one of those unlucky ones. And yeah, no reliable sources have said that he wants to go to or that Bashkistas are actually interested in him. So, yeah, I think it's just it's all just rumours and people trying to stir up stuff on social media. But yeah, hopefully he doesn't get much more negative press because it's not what he needs as a as a young player that's just moved to to a new club.
1: I just wanted to focus on Bruce's baggies a little bit, Pete, because first of all, let's just purely look at this as numbers, and maybe this is a little bit unfair because he came in midway through a bad run, a run where we couldn't score a goal for love nor money, and he's tried to arrest that run and get some results on the board, but it hasn't gone particularly well for him. But the reality of the situation is 10 games, won two, drawn three, lost five. That's obviously an average of 0.9 points per game. Put it simply, that gets you relegated.
0: Yeah, and the, the underlying numbers, the expected goals are saying that We're performing at uh, the level of a mid-table championship side, so yeah, I mean that's not where we want to be, really, is it? And if you look at the squad on paper, it's not the quality of squad that we that we've got really. I mean, Robinson, Grant, Dian Garner, Johnston, you know, Townsend, Bartley, Clark, all top at least top-level championship players. Um, so you'd expect us to be up there, not performing at a. mid table championship level the expected goals numbers or, or a relegation level side on the straight points numbers, so yeah it's not really been good enough has it
1: and he obviously chopped and changed the formation when he came in he he went looking for what he thought was the best solution he obviously went to a went went to a back four he's played with a front two he's played with three up front he's he he's varied it all over the show. In the end, what he 's landed on as bad as it would seem, just genuinely isn't that dissimilar from what Valerian Ishmael was doing he 's just taken one forward away and put another man into into midfield and I have to say the thought has has crossed my mind whether you, I think the the debate about valerian Ishmael and whether he sh- whether he should have been sacked or whatever has been had on Twitter over the last over the last couple of days. And understandably so. I understand why that's a debate. I personally, am not particularly interested in having that debate on this podcast. One, we had it around the time that that Val was sacked. And two, I think it's living in the past a little bit. I mean, it's obviously important to have that post-mortem and it's important to have a post-mortem on this, uh, on this season overall. But... I think that the one thing that you can say about Valerian Ishmael, love him or loathe him, is he had a philosophy. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew how he wanted to play. And the players knew what he wanted them to do and how he wanted them to play. My question to you, Pete, is does Steve Bruce have a philosophy? Because honestly, sitting here right now, I don't know what Steve Bruce's West Bromwich Albion stands for, what what it is. And as I say, whether I liked it or whether I didn't, and there was times when I liked it and there was times when I didn't, I knew what Valerian Ishmael's West Bromwich Albion was all about. I haven't got a clue what Steve Bruce's West Brom is all about.
0: And I'd agree with you there. Just from looking, just from watching the games, it's it's hard to really see the style, how we want to build up, um, progress the ball forward, and how we want to. Great chances in the final third. I think it's difficult to spot the patterns. Uh, when you look at it from the numbers, he's actually kind of similar to, to the numbers under Ishmael. If you look at where we win the ball back, under Ishmael we had 17% of our recoveries in the final third. And under Bruce it's the same, 17% of them in the final third. Statistically, the, we're not pressing as high under Bruce. Under Ishmael we had we allowed 7.6 passes per defensive action. So 7.6 opposite, opposition passes before we try to win the ball back, and under Bruce, it's been 11, so less of a high press. But ultimately, when we do win the ball back, it's at the same rate in the final third. Surprisingly to me was that our non-penalty expected goals against has been very, very marginally better under Bruce. It's been 0.98 per game under Bruce, whereas it was 0.99 under Ishmael. So like I say, very, very marginally. But ultimately, it's creating chances that's got a lot worse. We've gone from 1.72 non-penalty expected goals under Ishmael to 1.01 under Bruce and um a big factor of that is that we're creating about 0.5 fewer big chances in each game so under Ishmael we created about 1.5 about 1.6 big chances per 90 and under Bruce that's only one and obviously they're the chances that you're most likely to score so if you create lots of big chances then then you'll score more goals and under Bruce we're creating fewer. So um, that's a real problem.
1: I suppose the argument, if there is one to be had, is that perhaps Steve Bruce has tried to apply whatever style it was that he wants to, wants the Albion to be, or wants his Albion to be, and has discovered that the, the squad of players that he's got simply aren't capable of it, which is why he's reverted to a style that is, very, very similar to to the one that Valerian Ishmael had, but he's not doing it quite as well as Valerian Ishmael was. I don't think there's any doubt about that, by the way. I, the, the, there's a lot of people who can debate a lot of things about Bruce and Ishmael and whether, uh, which one of them should be in the job or whether either of them should be in the job. But I think the one thing that we can't debate is that Bruce trying to do Ishmael football or something close to Ishmael football is not as good as Ishmael doing Ishmael football. But ultimately my question comes down to if Steve Bruce is just muddling through with a squad that he doesn't think is capable of doing what he wants it to do, do we want to let Steve Bruce build a squad in his image to be what he wants wants it to be. Do we do we trust him to do that in the summer?
0: Not for me. I said it on this podcast back when we appointed him that I was hoping it was just going to be a short term deal. Until then, just see us out to the end of the season. Have a go at pushing us into those playoff spots, but kind of be searching for the for the next manager whilst Bruce is trying to push us into the playoff spots he's failed to get us into the playoff spots and I stand by what I thought then he shouldn't be the manager post this season and that we should have our eyes on I mean really we should be almost decided on who we're going for um, who's on the shortlist for the job coming into the season so in my opinion hopefully we part ways with Bruce and, and look to bring in someone someone fresh
1: I have to say we're on the same page on on this one Pete to steal a steal a tweet the rainbow stand put out on Twitter after the game it said Bruce isn't the problem but he's not the answer either and I have to say that sums it up beautifully for me. I'm not blaming Steve Bruce for where we are or the situation we find find ourselves in I'm well aware that Valerian Ishmael wanted a squad built that didn't have an obvious number 10 in it because he had no intentions of playing with one and now that we've moved on from Val Ball that that is an area we are desperately desperately lacking in so I don't blame Steve Bruce for not being able to get a tune out of these players but equally I just don't see him as the solution to the problems that we have going forward. And, and I actually had this conversation with my father on, uh, on on Sunday because he he believes that that we should have stability at the club. And I agree with him. I just don't think the stability should be Steve Bruce. I also think that there's a lot of people who who are happy to talk about good and bad managers. And I don't really think in most cases, there are a few very good managers and there are a few very bad managers out there. I'm well aware of that. But I think the vast majority of Managers don't fall into either category. And I think Valerian Ishmael is probably amongst these. And I think probably so is Steve Bruce to a certain extent as well. I think what there are in terms of managers are there are good fits and there are bad fits. Ultimately, what it comes down to is you have to understand the ethos of your football club and then you have to choose a manager who fits with that ethos, who the fans want, who fits with the group of players that not only that you have now, but you want to build going forward. And the problem is that takes real understanding of the football club, of how football works, of what you want to do, what your strategy is, what your DNA, as Dan Ashworth would have said, is of your football club, not just now, but in the future. And that's what we haven't had. That's why we appointed Valerian Ishmael. Valerian Ishmael, I'll happily say this right now on record is not was not and probably never will be a bad manager. What he was is a bad fit for West Bromwich Albion and equally Steve Bruce, I don't believe as much as Newcastle fans would tell you that to the contrary, I don't believe that with the success that Steve Bruce has had at previous clubs and over the years and getting out of this division and getting to FA Cup finals and the like, that Steve Bruce is a bad manager. But what I honestly believe is that he is a bad manager fit for West Bromwich Albion. I think if we keep Steve Bruce beyond the end of the uh, end of this season, I think we will find ourselves in a similar situation midway through next season where the fans are very disaffected with the football with what they're seeing on the pitch that they're not enjoying it. You want an example of a good fit and I don't give a lot of credit to Luke Dowling very often, but I thought Slaven Bilic was a good fit for our football club because He plays the type of football that people want to watch. Okay, he didn't have the the money and resources to then translate that into the Premier League. But in terms of what our fans want to see, Tony Mowbray, another example of a good fit for West Bromwich Albion. I don't believe Ishmael was a good fit. I'm not saying he's a bad manager. I'm not saying Steve Bruce is a bad manager. But equally, I I don't think Bruce is a good fit for the Albion.
0: I think that's pretty fair to say. I do think that some managers may suffer from the changing trends and tactics of football and can sometimes see themselves becoming outdated, if you like. I mean, if you look at football over the years, you can see that the trends are changing and obviously different managers have different styles and when that their style of play is kind of the trend and what's working at that minute, in, that moment in time, then, then they're going to, Look like the best, the best managers, if you like. So maybe Bruce, Bruce's styles aren't suited to what the trend at the minute and what's working for clubs at the minute. So I think that's potentially part of the issue as well. But I think the biggest factor is that he's. I mean, he wasn't a good fit for Albin. Ishmael wasn't a good fit for Albin. I'm not really sure if anyone will be a good fit for Albin at the minute because the squad is just such a mismatch of players so that's something that needs sorting out in the summer
1: yeah but but and equally as you say that comes back to the people running it where you have to have a philosophy but just pete in terms of getting the fans on side which has to be the the first and foremost task ahead of this summer you've you've got to bring somebody in who is going to play a brand of football that they want to want to watch and then you've got to back them to get the players that can play that brand of football now whether we're going to be able to bring in the likes of Mateus Pereira and people like that that we have done in in the past at, at this level is a whole other question altogether whether we can bring in the James Morrison's the Chris Brunt's the Felipe Teixeira's the Kevin Phillipses, the the kind of guys that we've we've bought into our football club when we've been in in the championship. Whether we can bring that quality of player, whether we have the money to do that is entirely another question. But I think first and foremost, you've got to bring somebody in who, whether they do it on the cheap or whether they do it with a decent budget, still ultimately at their core is going to try and build a side to play a certain brand of football because the bottom line is Take Tony Mowbray, for example. Tony Mowbray had good money to bring in, I think it was 11 players that summer when he brought in Brunt, Morrison, Tashira, and, and, and the like. If you'd given Tony Mowbray two million quid to spend that summer, he wouldn't have brought in the same quality of players, but he would have still brought in the same type. And I think that's that, that's, the man, that's the kind of manager we need. Somebody who is going to play the the style of football that the fans will will buy into and get on board with regardless of the personnel that they can get to play around it.
0: Yeah and we also need someone that's going to be able to create a system that can use the players that we've got that we're going to struggle to move on because there's going to be a number of players that just are on two big contracts in terms of length and in terms of wages that will struggle to move on so we need someone that can come in and get the best out of them in, in a system that, that works for all of them because I think we'll we'll have a bit of money, obviously, to spend in the summer because we do still have our parachute payments, but we do have a number of players that are on pretty hefty contracts, I think, so we've got to make use of them as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, look, we're going to leave it there for today because we've got another game on Wednesday. God forbid we've got to play another football. We've got to play the rest of this season. I hate to remind you of that. We've actually got to play this plumbing Season out. How unfortunate is that? But yes, we will leave it here for now. We will be back. We're going to let these two games pass, the Bournemouth and the Stoke game pass, and then we will be back after the Stoke game. That's not to say that we're going to necessarily sit here and analyse the Stoke and Bournemouth games in a great deal of depth, because unless something quite miraculous happens with our form and we catapult ourselves into playoff contention which I don't think anybody either Pete myself or any of you guys listening think is going to happen in a million years unless that happens I think we're going to spend a lot of the time looking at the bigger picture because you really don't need us to be picking apart or spending 45 minutes to an hour picking apart individual performances that really in the in the grander scheme of things don't matter one jot so we'll have a look at the season as a whole we'll have a look at players, whether we should keep them, uh, how they've done this season, who should go, who we should bring in. And that will be both players and managers. We'll do podcasts for for different areas of the pitch, defence, midfield, attackers, and also around the manager and what we think should happen there. And if there's something that you want us to cover, specifically, we're always open to requests, then please do reach out to us. The pod account is at Analysis. Or you can tweet myself at CJHall83 or Pete on at Analytics WBA. But until next time, thanks for listening and up the banks.